let's do this. Here's another episode of Nothing Original as Usual. Do not take my word for gospel. Alrighty, so today we're going to talk about pride and prejudice. Choosing substance over style. As usual, I'm going to dive into three separate questions, which I will connect together at the end to reach an overall conclusion. Also, these are just my personal opinions, nothing groundbreaking. So, question number one. (laughs) It's like a quiz. Are we too cognitively lazy to explore someone's character? In order to dive deeper into the question, we're going to take a look at Wickham versus Darcy. In today's world, Wickham would be the charming salesman and Darcy the awkward and socially inept nerd. I mean, Darcy himself says in the film, Mr. Wickham is blessed with such happy manners as may ensure his making friends. Whether he's capable of retaining them is less certain. So Wickham's reputation is reflected by his charm, while Darcy's reputation is reflected by his social awkwardness. However, Wickham's relationships are not cultivated beyond surface level. They burn and crash, while Darcy is simply uninterested in cultivating relationships on a surface level. And that is why Darcy is perceived as the bad guy. I mean, he's grumpy and he rejects to be social and dance with people and he's utterly proud and snobbish on top of that. Well, to be fair, Darcy actually is bad at presenting himself and engaging with strangers. I mean, he looks like a to deal with insufferable people is his worst nightmare throughout the entire film and well yes it probably is he says i do not have the talent of conversing easily with people i have never met before to which lizzie responds perhaps you should take your aunt's advice and practice the truth is it's a good skill to have because we live in a cognitively lazy world We prefer to accept the majority of people around us on basis of their surface-level appearances. We can be impatient and centered in our own little bubble. So judging someone on their surface-level appearances allows us to see in them whatever we want to see in them. In Lizzie's case, Wickham, the tragic outcast to root for, and Darcy, the snobbish rich guy who treats his inferiors as lesser than him, and... Oh lord, he struggles with talking to people. Poor Darcy. Well, it doesn't earn him any empathy points with Lizzie. It is easier to control the polished version of a human being in our head. The thing is, humans are messy and complicated. And reducing them to a single narrative within our mind is necessary, but self-serving at the same time. It's necessary because our head would collapse under the sheer weight of trying to see the deeper meaning in everyone and everything, we would be completely overstimulated. But on the other side, it's self-serving because we reduce someone to whatever we decide to see in them. Alrighty, in the next part, we're going to look at the question, are logical and emotional choices in dating equally impractical? So in Pride and Prejudice, we have clear examples of either ends of those spectrums when it comes to logic versus emotion in dating. On the side of logic, we got Charlotte, who marries Mr. Collins for the most pragmatic of reasons. She says, not all of us can afford to be romantic, Lizzie. And on the side of emotion, we got our dear Lydia, 
who runs off with Mr. Wickham, well, because he's charming and it's a fun thing to do or so. <laughs> I mean, Lydia literally says, Mr. Wickham, how perfect you are, after he picks up Lizzie's handkerchief from the ground. I mean, well, perfection has its stakes, right? One is making a choice, detached from affection, and the other is falling in love with an idea. Some argue love is a choice you make every day, and others argue love is a feeling, it's a spark, and then others argue, well, love is striking a balance between logical decisions and emotional affection. Well, or maybe we are not asking the right question when it comes to romantic relationships. So let's look at some of the platonic relationships in Pride and Prejudice. We have the sisterhood between Elizabeth and Jane, and their relationship is neither based upon a choice or a feeling salaly. It is based upon sharing a similar temperament. We have the friendship between Elizabeth and Charlotte, which is also not based upon a choice or a feeling salaly. It is based upon sharing a similar temperament. Sharing a similar temperament means similar tastes similar outlook of life, similar understanding of what is important in life, similar values. One speaks a similar language, meaning that one is able to learn from each other much easier and also to relate to each other much easier. So how does temperament and love differ? I mean, Elizabeth, for example, she loves her entire family, but she's far from bonded with her entire family in terms of sharing temperaments with them. You can decide to love someone based upon a logical or emotional choice, but that won't dictate how deep your bond is going to be. So maybe the question is not, shall I choose a romantic partner based upon logic or feelings, but rather, shall I choose a partner based upon a shared temperament? Or as Jane Austen put it, how little or permanent happiness could belong to a couple who were only brought together because their passions were stronger than their virtue. Being focused on making a logical or emotional choice in dating can detach someone from exploring if there's a mutual temperament to begin with. One is too focused on indulging in the self. I mean, indulging in the realm of your own benefit. I want the knight in shining armor. I want someone who can ensure I'm financially secured. The primary orientation towards a logical or emotional preference in choosing a partner makes the exploration of temperament secondary. Making a logical or emotional preference our primary concern in choosing someone can make us neglect considering a shared temperament. Our focus is on fulfilling our logical or emotional needs. So let's compare some of the couples in order to illustrate this further. Obviously we have Darcy and Elizabeth. <laughs> And they are wildly different characters at first glance. Elizabeth is quite extroverted, witty and able to navigate social situations with ease. While Darcy is just weird. <laughs> I mean, he's outwardly more cold, he's awkward, he's standoffish and he displays a sense of seriousness. At least in social situations. However, they share quite similar temperaments. Both are not concerned with society's norms and rules. Both are not concerned with what other people think of them. Both are quite independent thinkers and both are fairly private when it comes to their personal feelings. The reason they get along so well with each other is that they speak a similar language. Neither of them chose the other solely based upon a logical or emotional choice. 
The preference for the logical or emotional realm comes secondary to a shared temperament. So Darcy does not primarily choose Elizabeth because she's a logically suitable match. I mean, well, she's not in his social class. And well, he also made that painfully clear in his awful first proposal. And he doesn't primarily choose Elizabeth because he's viewing her as a fantasy fulfillment. I mean... She's not afraid to speak up to him. She outright rejects his awful first proposal because, well, it was a mess of a proposal and he actively listens to her and takes her criticism to heart, which makes clear that he views her as an individual and doesn't project an idea onto her of what he wants her to be. And Elizabeth, on the other side, she also does not primarily choose Darcy because he's a logically suitable match. I mean, he's rich and she rejected his first proposal because, well, it was awful. <laughs> and she doesn't primarily choose Darcy because she views him as a fantasy fulfillment. She despises him in the beginning and only changes her mind after she observes him in his private environment, seeing how he engages and interacts with his sister and people he's close with. And also after she realizes how similar they actually are. They chose each other primarily based upon virtue. And Jane and Bingley are a similar case of a pair who chose each other primarily based upon virtue, with even Jane's father, Mr. Bennett, pointing out after their engagement how alike they are, listing similarities as them both being charitable and other-oriented, which, well, points more to a shared temperament than shared characteristics. Logical and emotional factors, like being compatible on paper, um, factors like age, location, religion, and also being physically attracted to each other, play a part, but they are secondary to the primary concern of a shared temperament. Only if the temperaments are aligned, one considers if the other factors are amicable, and if they are, one can base a romantic relationship on that connection. And if not, it might be a friendship, or a sisterhood, or, you know, just a good conversation. How the connection develops depends on the secondary factors involved. What I'm trying to say is, well, Lizzie was definitely not, not fond of the idea of living at Pemberley. On the other hand, we have Mr. Bennet, who is stuck with Mrs. Bennet after he marries her for her beauty and his infatuation with her. Well, we know how this turned out. Then there's Charlotte and Mr. Collins, a marriage based on a win-win arrangement. Mr. Collins has a presentable wife to please Lady Catherine and Charlotte is financially secure in old age. Oh, and yeah, then we got Lydia and Mr. Wickham and, you know, Mr. Wickham is just perfect. That's all there is to say. In those cases, the primary concern is the logical or emotional preferences. Temperament is bypassed because who needs that? Essentially, it's as if Lizzie would have said a yes after Darcy's horrible proposal to her because, well, he's rich and of course she'll marry him because he's rich and he's not a very nice person, but well, whatever, he's rich. The truth is that those kinds of arrangements oftentimes deteriorate with time because they're not built upon anything substantial. They're built upon style and style gets out of fashion quite quickly. So let's explore the last part. Do we have to cultivate our identity in order to determine substance over style? 
Only if we are honest with ourselves, the good and the bad, we can come to a better understanding of who we are. And knowing who you are can help you identifying with whom you share a similar temperament. Mrs. Bennet, for example, she's shallow like a pond and strives on gossip, similar to Lydia and Kitty, who also don't possess an ounce of self-awareness. None of them know how they come across. They don't invest much time into introspection and the result is living in a realm of surface level appearances and interactions. On the other side, Lizzie is an example. She's quite stubborn, but also open to reflect on her own actions. I mean, the whole Darcy-Wickham situation is a good example of that. At the end of the film, she has a conversation with her father who says, we all know him to be a proud, unpleasant sort of fellow, but that would be nothing if you really liked him. And she responds, he's not proud. I was wrong. I was entirely wrong about him. So Lizzie, similar to Mr. Bennett and Jane, is more mindful and self-aware and she's also not afraid to, well, admit if she was wrong about something. The result of spending introspective time with yourself is occupying a realm of more substance, a realm of deeper and meaningful interactions. While introspection and getting to know yourself has less to do with being socially acceptable, it has more to do with recognizing how you stand in relation to others. It has to do with being able to own up to your flaws as well as acknowledging your strengths. It has to do with seeing the error in your ways and changing course of action. And if we're capable of cultivating our identity in that manner, we're not only going to grow as a person, but also understand better who we are and who we want to surround ourselves with based on virtue. So yeah substance of a style to summarize it will be difficult to choose substance of a style if your identity is not cultivated through introspection reason being is that choosing a suitable partner or rather forming any meaningful relationship is mostly based upon sharing a similar temperament meaning sharing similar values and a similar outlook on life and while well, you can best determine if you share that with another person if you know who you are and what you value on a deeper level to begin with. Constantly staying in the cognitively lazy realm of surface level interaction will likely lead to choosing a partner based upon style rather than substance. You essentially see someone how you want to see them. You see how the other person fits into your own narrative based upon a logical or emotional preference. And yes, well, we have the case of Charlotte and Mr. Bennett who both seem... Um, reasonably self-aware and they still chose a partner based upon style rather than substance showcasing that knowing yourself does not automatically lead to finding someone who shares your philosophy of life because um, yes while I personally do think that a shared temperament and forming lasting relationships is the primary concern consulting logical and emotional factors in a secondary fashion is essential to determining if a romantic relationship is going to strive so if you come across people who take your temperament box number one for a deep and meaningful relationship of any kind, but not the logical slash emotional box number two for a specifically romantic relationship, well, maybe you resort to consciously abandoning box one in order to widen your pool of prospects. Well, I guess the bottom line is just stay single. Well, yeah, so that's that. Next up, TBC, I have no idea yet, but yeah. Sayonara und auf Wiedersehen. See you in two weeks.